Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to the final session in our Christmas series. And yes, Christmas is here. All the waiting and this is Christmas week. And I just want to welcome you. If maybe this is the first time you've ever been here, I want to welcome you and encourage you to fill out a visitor card, take it to the Welcome Center when you leave, and they'll have a gift for you back there. And uh, to the rest of you, I welcome you and say Merry Christmas. And uh, for those watching online today, we welcome you to our service as well. Today we will finish our Christmas sermon series called Messiah's Revealing. And the topic today is the hope. Let's let that word sink in for a moment. Hope. I'm convinced that my hope is the fuel of my faith. I figure this, if I ever lost my hope, if I ever lost my hope, I would probably lose my faith. If you look at this series, today will be number four. We started with the waiting. All creation was waiting for something to happen. We moved on to the light, that the light of God pierced through our darkness. And we moved to the message so that you would, would understand and know God, that he sent a message so that you would know him through the word. And today, the hope. Messiah's revealing session four. Hope. Let's start with the word. If you open up Webster's Dictionary and look at the word hope, here's what you'd find. To anticipate, usually with pleasure. To anticipate. To expect, to live with expectancy. I remember when I was a kid growing up, they used a term, at least in my little world, they used a term to describe pregnant women that they don't use today. They used to say, she's expecting. And as a little fellow, I'd say, expecting what? <laughs> a baby. There's a baby coming. There's expectancy. You know, that's what the word means. So today's idea of Messiah's revealing is the idea of expectancy. I have developed my own definition for hope. It's just me, and I know what my hope is. And here's what hope defined by me is. There is something marvelous coming. It's not here yet. I can't touch it. I can't actually see it, but I know it's near, and it's more near today than it was yesterday, and it is so overwhelmingly incredible that I can't wait for its arrival. I am expecting something. I am expecting someone. It's just over the hill. It's just right out of my reach, but it's just over the hill, Christmas. That first Christmas opened up this word. All of creation was waiting for this word to be manifest on the earth. That first Christmas opened up hope to the entire world. That first Christmas revealed God's plan to keep his word. In Genesis 3, God had said that the woman's seed would crush the serpent's head. God had announced that a curse had fallen upon all mankind. Sin and death was everywhere. And yet God had made a plan, a word. And he said, I'm going to keep my word. And until I do, you have hope. So when I started this series, I began with the waiting. That first Christmas... God revealed his plan to keep his word. Creation had been waiting for thousands of years, waiting for this hope to be manifest. God had become a man. That first Christmas, know this, that God became flesh and blood human, and he moved into our world, and for some degree, the waiting was over. And the second point in the series was light. God had, God's light had pierced, entered into our dark world. 
And mankind would never be the same. Why? Because this light has authority over the darkness. And when this light arrives, the darkness must leave. This is the only power that makes the darkness flee, that makes the darkness leave. And the light of the world was coming. And finally, last week, it was the message. The Word of God had been delivered to planet Earth. How? Through a virgin's womb. And today, the hope. Hope had arrived that first Christmas. From a moment, from the moment of Mary's conception, hope had come to the earth. The child that you delivered, Mary, would soon deliver you. The hope of all mankind. Do you understand this statement? Throughout the series, I have said over and over and over, Messiah's revealing. The word Messiah is another word for Christ. It's the Hebrew word for Christ. Christ's revealing. Messiah's revealing. It was the prophet Isaiah that broke the news. 700 years before the time of Mary and Joseph, what news? Hope was coming into the world. God was coming into our world. There would be no news larger in that day than what Isaiah announces 700 years in advance. Isaiah 7 verse 13. Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then. The Lord himself will give you a sign. God's going to give a sign so that you will have hope. You'll know expectantly that something's coming. You won't have to guess. So God will give a sign 700 years in advance that hope's coming. What would it look like? Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And we'll call him, here it comes, Emmanuel. A woman will do what is impossible. She will give birth to a son without ever being married to a man. And she will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah's prophecy announced that something was going to happen that could not happen unless God himself shows up. A virgin was going to get pregnant. A virgin was going to have specifically a son. She, a virgin, is expecting. A virgin was going to give hope to the world. How, Emmanuel? That first Christmas gave birth to a male child called Emmanuel. Our hope in this room today was born that day. Do you understand that? God had just arrived on planet Earth. Emmanuel has just arrived on planet Earth. God is with us. We couldn't reach God. 4,000 years of human civilization. civilization. We could not reach God. We could not reach Him. No matter what we did, we couldn't reach Him. So God came to us. We couldn't reach heaven, so heaven came to Earth. Emmanuel. That's what all creation had been waiting for. The light of the world had entered our darkness, and the message and the Word of God was now living among the people of planet Earth. Not God in a faraway, distant world, but God with us, Emmanuel. This is where the hope story today gets interesting. The people of Israel fought, and the people of Israel hoped for this child to come as what? A king. All of Israel, those who knew about Messiah's revealing, those who read the prophecies, understood the scriptures, they were all hoping and waiting for this child that come that would be the king. After all, that was the promise from the prophets of God, right? He would be a king. A king from the lineage of David. And he's going to reign over the house of Israel, right? All the prophecies are clear. He's going to come from David's lineage. 
who was a king. And when he gets here, he's going to be a king, right? That's what the prophecy was. That was the promise of God revealed through Daniel, right? We talked about it last week. A rock is going to come and it's going to, it's cut out of a, it's cut not by human hands and it's going to hit the feet of iron and clay and he's going to crush all the kingdoms of men and he's going to grow into a, a mountain and cover the whole earth. Surely he's the king, right? So everybody's expecting and everyone is seeing that when Messiah does come, he will come as king. That was the prophetic announcement from Daniel. That was the prophetic announcement through the angel Gabriel. What did he say to Mary? Number one, he said, you'll conceive through the Holy Spirit and you will give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. He will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. But then he reveals this. God will give Jesus the throne. He's going to be a king. God's going to give Jesus the throne of his ancestor who happens to be King David. So everybody's expecting and everyone's hoping and everyone who knows about Messiah's revealing, what are they looking for? A king's coming. Surely he will be a king. In fact, Gabriel said he will reign as king over Israel forever and his kingdom. You can't have a kingdom without a king and his kingdom will never end. Do you believe the angelic testimony? So what are they expecting? A king. Yes, Emmanuel came on that first Christmas. And yes, he was born of a virgin. And yes, just like the scripture foretold, they would name him Jesus. But he didn't act like a king at all. Not what they expected at all. He wasn't born like a king. He was from the royal line of a King David. Yes, but Joseph and Mary were poor. And there hadn't been a king in that family for over 500 years. In fact, the last king in that family of David was a king named Zedekiah. And King Nebuchadnezzar put him to death some 500 years before Mary and Joseph were born. Yes, he was born in Bethlehem, in the city of David. But would they put a newborn king in a manger? Would they put a king in a feed trough? That's what a manger is. You see, here's the point. All of the prophecies all proclaim that a king has come. Daniel said it. The angels said it. All of the scriptures proclaimed there's a power coming. A power. The God, Emmanuel, a king of kings is coming. Would God deliver his only begotten son to the kingdoms of men through poor peasants? Mary and Joseph? Yes. The mystery of all mysteries is yes, he would and yes, he did. But they didn't understand it. Do you? Let's start there. Do you understand Messiah's revealing? Do you see the hope yet? They didn't. Overall, all of those who were looking for a king, they didn't. Now, I'm convinced to some degree Mary and Joseph saw it. Saw what? The hope. Do you think Mary and Joseph had some sense of expectancy for nine months during her pregnancy, do you think they had some expectancy that I carry the Son of God inside of me? What's going to happen? What will it be like to give birth to the Son of God? What's going to happen? Do you see the expectancy? Do you see the hope? That night when their shepherds keep and watch over their flocks at night, and the angels come, and they reveal that something supernatural is taking place. Do you see that they have hope? They're going to wonder in their mind, what's coming? What's over that next hill that's coming my direction? What's it mean, God, with us? The wise men. All the characters we see in the Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, wise men. The wise men from the east, they saw it. They saw the hope. 
And I guess you could say they even saw the king and they saw the kingship. They saw it. They understood it. Have you ever stopped to wonder how they knew about this coming star? How they knew about this coming king? These guys are from a foreign land, far away from Israel, far away from Jerusalem or Bethlehem. How in the world did they connect the dots between a star and a king in Bethlehem? The Bible doesn't specifically say, but I can take a pretty good guess how they knew. How did these wise men from the east, and notice the geographical, don't, uh, the geographical location. How did these wise men from the east know about the coming heavenly king and the coming star that would reveal heaven's king? How'd they know? Well, take a map and look at Bethlehem and Jerusalem and just go east and what's there? Babylon. Babylon is to the east of Bethlehem. Does anyone want to guess what wise man was from Bethlehem, was from Babylon? Anybody want to, wise men or magi, anybody want to guess what wise men lived in Babylon 500 years before Mary gave birth to this king named Jesus? If you were here last week, you caught a pretty good glimpse. His name was Daniel. Daniel lived in Babylon and I've already covered Daniel's role in announcing the coming king last week. Daniel and the angel Gabriel are both recorded in the scriptures of being in Babylon to the east of Bethlehem 500 plus years before Jesus is born. It is highly likely, we don't know for sure, it's highly likely that Daniel had revealed the details of this coming king to other wise men, to other magi in Babylon during his time there. Either way, no matter how they figured out that there's a star and that star relates to a coming king, not just a coming king from heaven, but the king of the Jews. How do they know? See, Daniel already prophesied. We read it last week in great detail. He'd already told the king, there's a vision. And in that vision, there's this giant statue that represents all the kingdoms of men. But something's going to happen in the time of those Gentile kingdoms. A rock, R-O-C-K, a rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, is going to come. It's going to crush the feet of iron and clay. And all these Gentile kingdoms are going to blow away. And this, this king, this kingdom is going to cover the whole earth. And it'll never end. It's eternal. Daniel already knew it. And Daniel's communicated it. And now from the east come wise men with the knowledge, not just of a king and not just of a heavenly kingdom, but a specific king of the Jews. How did they know? King of the Jews. Matthew 2 verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? Now stop for a moment. They know he's newborn. He's a baby. And they know he's king. And they know that he's king of the Jewish people. We saw his star. And by the way, he's got a star. Do you have a star? He's got a star. Herod doesn't have a star. We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. We come to worship this newborn king of the Jews. They knew he was a king. They came a great distance to worship this newborn king. The stars in heaven had revealed this king. Messiah's revealing, whether it came through Daniel or whether it came through other means. Messiah had been revealed to wise men in the east. Can you imagine the hope in that moment when the wise men arrive in Bethlehem and they, they tell their story of how the heavens have declared this child's birth? Can you imagine Mary? Can you imagine Joseph? Can you imagine this word, this anticipation, this expectancy? What in the world is going to happen with this child? Hope. Everything God said was coming is, is here. The king. 
Can you imagine the expectancy? What is it that's coming over this next hill? If hope is something is just over the horizon, just over the hill, but it's coming my way. Can you imagine the expectancy of that moment when the wise men show up telling everybody, we followed the star here? Is God about to restore the kingdom to Israel? What's everybody looking for? Here's what I want you to understand. What is everyone looking for? A king. Even the wise men said he's king of the Jews. Of course they're looking for a king. So the question is, is God about to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because what's going on when the wise men arrive? What's going on when Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem? Israel's not a nation. They're under the Roman Empire. They've lost their king. They don't have a king. Rome, Caesar is their king. Is God about to restore the kingdom to Israel for this newborn king of the Jews? Is that what everybody thinks? Is this child the rock cut out of a mountain that's going to run the Romans out of Jerusalem? What's about to happen? Can you imagine the hope? Can you imagine the expectancy of that moment? Can you imagine the expectancy of what's coming over the next hill? And it comes to the eighth day. Listen carefully. Jesus is born. The shepherds come. They worship. And eight days go by. Eight days. We don't know much about day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But we know a whole lot about something big is happening on day eight. On day eight, following that first Christmas day, they take this newborn king of the Jews. They take him to Jerusalem's temple. Now they're in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is just a few miles walk to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem is the temple. And they're Jewish families, so they've got to obey the Jewish law, which means they have to present this firstborn son to the Jewish, uh, to the, the, the teachers there in the temple, and he will be circumcised according to the law. Every day must have been filled with expectancy. Every day must have been filled with hope. So as they walk from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, I wonder, I can't help but wonder in their mind, what's going to happen? He's the son of God. He's the king. What's going to happen? Here it comes, day eight. Luke 2, 21, eight days later, eight days after his birth. When the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. The name given him by the angel, even before, even before he was conceived. On the eighth day, they took a knife. And they circumcised this newborn king of the Jews. The, they gave this newborn king a name. The name above all other names. Given by God, the real father. Given this name by God, the real father, through the angel Gabriel. Can you imagine in that moment the expectancy, the hope? What's coming over the next hill? What is his life going to do? And then reality strikes in the strangest way. Reality strikes in the form of an old, hope-filled man named Simeon. There's this old guy at the Jerusalem temple. And I can tell you, he's been waiting a long time for this eighth day. He's been waiting a long time. And Mary and Joseph, I suppose, have no idea what's about to take place. Verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon and had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit, but more importantly, Simeon was filled with hope. Simeon had this sense of expectancy because Simeon's hope was this. God had revealed through the Holy Spirit to this guy, you will not die until you see the Messiah. 
Can you imagine living with that kind of hope? Simeon had been waiting a long time. Messiah's revealing. Simeon had been watching for the light of the world to come into the darkness. Simeon had received this message of God through the Holy Spirit. And what is the message? It's clear. You're not going to die, Simeon, until you see Messiah. Simeon was filled with hope. Can you imagine the the expectancy which was the fuel of his faith? What do you think it would be like to be Simeon? Let's pause on the story. I want to ask you a question. What do you think it would be like to be a Simeon? Waking up every day and wonder if today's the day. You go about your life. You know that God has said you're going to see Messiah before you die. You could look at it two ways. Each day might close in disappointment because he didn't come today. But every morning would come new excitement. It wasn't yesterday, but maybe it's today. The promise is real. And the promise is my hope. It was the eighth day. And today is Simeon's day. Verse 27. That day... The Spirit led Simeon to the temple. What a coincidence. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was standing there. Can you see this old guy? In his entire life, he's been waiting for one thing. Messiah's revealing. And he's standing there, and here comes Mary and Joseph carrying this eight-day-old baby. Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all. Did he say all? All people. He is the light. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He's holding an eight-day-old baby. What are your expectations for this eight-day-old baby? He's the light that will reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people, Israel. Messiah's revealing. All the waiting for the light of God to break into their darkness. The eighth day fulfilled Simeon's hope. What was Simeon's hope? Simeon's hope was clear. You're not going to die until you see Messiah revealed. So his entire life life was based upon the Word of God had revealed his future. Your future is you're going to encounter Messiah. You won't die until you encounter Messiah. So you know what? He's encountered Messiah, and he says, I'm ready to die. You know why? Because I don't have anything bigger to hope for because I just got the biggest big there is in all bigs. This is it. I can die in peace now. Simeon to God says, I can go home now. I have seen your salvation. I have seen the king. Notice that Simeon's Holy Spirit moment includes Gentiles. I just got cold chills went all the way down my neck when I said those words. Notice, notice, notice that Simeon's eighth day prophetic moment encounter with Messiah includes Gentiles. He is the light to reveal God to the nations. That's how the New Living Translation puts it. I want to show you the New American Standard, way more literal translation word by word. Put it up here. That same verse in the New American Standard says a light of revelation, a light of revelation. He's holding an eight-day-old baby. And this man knows he's not going to stop breathing until he meets the Son of God. A light of revelation to Gentiles. That's us. And the glory of your people Israel. Now, I got to tell you, when I read this, and I notice the New American Standard capitalizes that entire sentence. So I think it'd be, we need to stop and do something. In light of what we just read, that Simeon, this holy man, on the eighth day, holds Messiah. 
holds the Son of God, holds the King of kings and Lord of lords. And what comes out of his mouth? A light of revelation to the Gentiles. You know what we should do? We should celebrate. Because his hope is my hope. His hope is my hope. It hasn't changed. If you're in the room today and you're a Gentile, understand that that is you he's talking about. A light of revelation, Messiah's revealing to the Gentiles. This king of the Jews, listen church, this king of the Jews is not just king of the Jews. He is king of the Gentiles, which means their hope is your hope, and their future is your future, and their God is your God, and their anticipation is our anticipation. The king is here. Simeon says the king is here, revealing the light to the whole world. Can you imagine the expectancy in that moment? You're marrying Joseph. Can you imagine what's heart thumping going on in your heart right now? As Simeon holds this child, I told you reality was going to set in on the eighth day. Mary and Joseph are listening to this Holy Spirit-filled man of God, and here it comes. Reality. Verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said by Simeon about them. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. What? Did he say fall? Joseph, did he say fall? This eight-day-old baby is destined to make many people in Israel fall? But he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. Joseph, did he say oppose him? And as a result, Simeon's still prophesying. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. What's on the inside of people will show up on the outside. Who they are will become visible. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And Mary, a sword will pierce your very soul. I wonder if Mary's heart dropped at that moment. What did Joseph think? It was all going so well. The king of the Jews and all of the wonderful angelic visit information. And now Simeon has somehow done something to their hope. What happened to their hope, their expectancy? Now, now, after talking to Simeon, what is it that's coming over the next hill? This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. I thought they were going to rise. Many will oppose this newborn kingdom. Many will oppose this newborn king. There's going to be great opposition to his kingdom. What? He's the king of the Jews. He's the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's the light of the world. Who's going to oppose him? This king is going to expose and reveal the spiritual, the real, inside of us, spiritual heart of all mankind. The light will expose and pierce the darkness, and the sin of every human heart will be revealed. Mary, a sword is going to pierce your soul. Where's your hope now? When hope encounters truth, where's your hope? I thought this child was going to be king. Do you see where I'm going? Everybody had this hope and everybody had this expectancy that our hope is based on a king and a kingdom. And now... This kingdom at eight days old already has opposition. And it already has people falling instead of rising. I wonder if you've ever looked at Christmas like this before. This is how Mary and Joseph spent their first Christmas with Jesus. Hope must have felt like a roller coaster ride up and down. You ever experienced hope as a roller coaster? Some days you're filled with expectancy and sometimes your expectancy turns to horror. 
Here the shepherds come with this incredible news that they've just encountered angels in the field. And now Simeon says, a sword's going to pierce your soul. I need to do something. I need all of you to pause on day eight with Simeon and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And I want to fast forward some 30 years. And if we don't do it quickly, some of you are going to leave depressed and sorry you ever came to this service today. <laughs> we don't really know what happened to Joseph. It looks like he's died. We're going to fast forward some 30 plus years. I would also assume that Simeon has gone home in peace. Mary and Jesus are still in the story. And as we pick up in the New Testament, Jesus has been publicly preaching this message from the Father in and around Israel but for some two years when we pick the story back up. He's gone from eight days old to now he's been preaching for two years. So let's say roughly he's 32 years of age. We fast forward to this scene where Jesus is miraculously feeding 5,000 men with five barley loaves and two fish. Now don't miss it. Because Jesus has just done something supernatural so that he can reveal. So Messiah is being revealed to the people, right? Supernatural act of God. And they're all full of this incredibly good meal, fish and bread. And this happens. John 6, 14. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet. We have been expecting. There you go. You're the one we've been waiting for. Nobody cooks like you. Surely you're the prophet we've been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him, they were ready to force him to be their king. What's everybody want? They want a king, right? When he saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Here's the question, big question. Why did he slip away into the hills? The wise men from Babylon, the wise men came. Remember when he was a baby and said what? He's the king of the Jews. So if he's the king of the Jews, why is he leaving? I thought this was the plan all along, that he would be the newborn king of the Jews. He would rise up and become the king of the Jews, right? He was born king of the Jews, right? 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 No. No, listen, not before the cross. This will be the biggest point I teach you today. Not before the cross. Not before the cross. You cannot have Christmas and the king without the cross. This is the message of God then. This is the message of God today in this room. Not without the cross. No. They wanted him to be their king. They're going to force him to be their king. No, not without the cross. Many people want the king and Christmas, but they don't want the cross. I look at the American culture. I've come to this conclusion. Many people want the king and they want the Christmas, but they don't want the cross. In fact, we want to write the Christmas story. We want to write the cross out of the Christmas story because it's ugly. It's nasty. It's bloody. We like the angels and the wise men and peace on earth, goodwill toward men, but not the cross. I'm going to tell you the truth today. There can be no Christmas. There can be no king. There can be no light. There can be no hope without the cross. Can you hear Simeon telling Mary that a sword will pierce your soul? Can you hear him? Eight days old, a sword is going to pierce your soul. Why? Because she will watch her son, her king, her savior die on a cross. She's going to watch it. Why? Why does she have to do that? Because there is no hope without the cross. For Jews or Gentiles, for rich or, for, or poor, for then or for now, there is no hope. Today we're talking about hope. There is no hope without the cross. 
You can't separate Christmas and the cross. They are eternally connected as the plan of God to redeem the world. Jews and Gentiles alike. Yes, Jesus brought hope to the world. And yes, he is the king of kings. Yes, he is the Lord of lords. But only because of the cross. In a very strange way. At least it's strange to me. In a very strange way. Even the Gentile Roman governor, Pilate, knew it. He knew it. In John 19, 19, and Pilate posted a sign. They're sending Jesus to the cross, right? Pilate posted a sign over Jesus that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek so that many people could read it. Then the leading priest objected to Pilate. They hated the sign and said, change it. Change it from the king of the Jews to, he said, I'm the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, what I have written, I have written. Change it. I still hear those words today, change it. Change the sign. Can you hear Simeon? Here's what Simeon said. He will cause many in Israel to fall. Eight days on. Change it. Do you understand this today? Listen carefully. There can be no hope without the cross. There is no king without the cross. Christmas and the cross are forever connected. Jesus came to die. He came to die. The king, is he the king? Yes, but the king came to die. The cross was the only way. The cross was the only way to break the curse. The cross was the only way for the woman's seed to crush the serpent's head and set us free from the power of the grave, the power of sin, the power of death. Can anybody in this room, do you think you have the power to overcome the grave? You think you can go into the grave, they'll put you in a box and put the box in the ground and you're going to somehow another break out? You think you can do that on your own? Do you have this power? It is a curse of God. Are you more powerful than God? There was one way. Yes, there would be a king. Yes, he would be the son of God. And yes, they would have hope. But not without the cross. Even Peter struggled with this spiritual revelation. And I know, I know the modern American church is struggling with this spiritual revelation. Let me prove it to you. Let's go to Matthew 16, 21. And Jesus is announcing very plainly that none of this is possible without the cross. The cross is absolutely important. It is absolutely necessary. From then on, verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and he would suffer many terrible things in the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. And he said he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took Jesus aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. What, what's Jesus saying? None of it's going to work without the cross. Heaven forbid. Peter looks at Jesus and calls the name of heaven. Heaven forbid, Lord. He said, this will never happen to you. What will never happen to you? The cross. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, and by the way, he's looking at this church today. And here's what he says. Get away from me, Satan. What? This is Peter. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Jesus made it clear there can be no king. There can be no kingdom without the cross. Believing there is hope without the cross. Listen to me, church. Believing there is hope without the cross is Satan's trap. Even today, you and I must understand that we cannot experience this king and we will not experience this kingdom without the cross. 
Peter struggled with the cross part, and Jesus tells him, calls Peter what? He calls him Satan because he was thinking from a human perspective instead of by God's divine truth. Can anybody hear Simeon? Here's what Simeon said. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Peter's heart, his worldly heart, doing man's will, man's way, was being revealed. The deepest thoughts of human hearts will be revealed by Messiah. Many people today want Christmas without the cross. You can't have it. It's not possible. In fact, I'll take it further. Many Americans want Christmas without Christians. It's funny to me. They love the season for all the wrong reasons. They like Christmas, but they don't like Christians because Christians always want to hang on to that cross. They want, American culture today wants the result. They want the peace on earth, goodwill toward men. They like the idea that grumpy people become nice people some point in December. They like the idea that some things happen that are unexplainable, but they like it without the reason for the hope. The cross of Christ. You can't have the king or the kingdom without the cross. Why? Come on, let's, let's be practical. You can't have the king and you can't have the kingdom. And if you don't have the king and you don't have the kingdom, you don't have any hope. And you, why? Why can't I? Why can't I without the cross? Because the king said so. Because the king said so. Do you know what the king said? In Luke 9, 23, then he said to the crowd, let's just say he's talking to us in this room today. I wonder how many of you will hear what I'm about to read. I'm talking about hear it in your heart. If any of you wants to be my followers, why would you want to follow him? Because the only way you're going to get where he's at is if you do. And if any of you wants to be my followers, you must turn from your self centered life. You must turn from your selfish ways. Anybody listening? Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, and you're never going to get where he's at until you do follow him, because you don't know the way. You must turn from your selfish ways. You must turn from your self-centered life. Me, 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 me. And what would it look like if you did? What's, what's the next sentence? What, what's it say next? You must turn from your selfish ways and take up a cross. Daily. And follow me. Uh, but he didn't really mean that. He didn't really mean that, did he? Did he mean that? You must turn from your self-centered life. Anybody struggling with that? If any of you wants to be my followers, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up a cross daily and follow me. Now, now it gets worse, okay? Or it gets better. It's according to your perspective. And then he says this. If you try to hang on to your self-centered life, if you try to hang on to your self-centered life, you will lose your life. But if you give up your life, that's the cross. That's the whole idea of the cross. The cross is where I come to die. The cross is the altar in which I come and lay my life down. I bow before this king at the cross. I want Christmas, but I don't want that cross. I want the king, but I don't want that cross. I want hope, but I don't want that cross. I want to be king. I want to be in charge. He says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save your life. And what did you benefit if you gained the whole world? What if your self-centered life gets you everything you can possibly ever imagine? And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and you, but you are yourself lost and you're destroyed the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed 
The truth about your heart is being revealed in this room today, right now. Do you hear me? I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the truth of your heart is being revealed in this room today. You cannot have Christmas without the cross. You cannot have this king or be a part of his kingdom without the cross. You cannot make peace with God without the cross. There can be no peace on earth without the cross. There is no hope. Everybody listen. I'm going to make this really clear. Here's the topic. There is no hope without the cross. In fact, I I thought about this all week. And I'm going to tell you something. If you are in this room today and you are not a believer in Christ, and you you live a self-centered life and you never come bow before this king at the cross, your greatest hope, everybody listen, your greatest, biggest hope will be that the grave is an unconscious non-existence. I'll say it again. If you're without Christ and you're in this room today, the biggest hope you could possibly have is that somehow when you die and you go to the grave, that it is a fade to black unconscious condition and you know nothing, never, forever. That's your biggest hope. Are you willing to have that as your hope? Because without the cross, there is no resurrection from the dead. See, the resurrection is on the other side of the cross. The inheritance is on the other side of the cross. How would it be? Oh, you might might have some big days between now and the grave. Listen, what's it going to profit you if you gain the whole world between now and the grave? The biggest hope you could possibly have as a non-believer is that when you do die, you fade to black unconsciousness and you don't exist. You don't realize. But I'm going to tell you, everything in here says you're wrong. You're wrong. That you will be conscious. And you will know. And you know what you'll know? You sold your soul to the world. And you're not able to save yourself. You can only make peace with God by making His Son your King by way of the cross. Bow down to this King at the cross. You cannot serve two masters. It's Satan's trap. The reality is this, you must, I must deny myself. I must deny my self-centered life and take up a cross to follow this king. Now, I'm going to wrap it up. Here we go. I'm going to give you my favorite part today, my hope, my expectancy. I actually believe like Simeon. Those of you in this room who know me personally, you know I'm not making it up. I believe like Simeon. I believe I will see the Lord's return before I die. I live with a constant expectancy and hope. I believe my deliverer is coming. I believe in the soon return of Christ. It is the fuel of my faith. And believe it or not, I get criticism for that. I find it to be somewhat amazing that I get criticism because I believe in the soon return of Christ. And I do talk about it a lot. I realize that. But I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think they criticized Simeon? What do you think it was like to work next to Simeon? Every day Simeon comes into the temple, he comes into Jerusalem and say, I wonder if today will be the day. Hey guys, you think it'll be Messiah's coming? Every day he talks about Messiah coming. Every day he never stops talking about Messiah coming. But he knew something. In the book of Amos, God says this, that I never do anything without first revealing it to my prophets. I wonder about Noah. You think they made fun of Noah? Because I picture for over a hundred years, Noah comes out to work on the boat and says, it's going to rain. Every day he talks about it's going to rain. And one day it rained. Now think about this guy, Jeremiah. He's in the Old Testament. He comes on the scene as God's pretty much washed his hands of Israel and Judah. And he's already dispatched Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon to come and destroy all of Jerusalem. And as an act of mercy, 
And as an act of mercy, God tells Jeremiah, go into the city and tell all the people that if you'll surrender to the Babylonians, just walk out with a white flag kind of thing and just surrender. All of you will live. But you've got to leave your safety and you've got to trust that I'm telling you the truth. Just come out. You know what they did? They took Jeremiah and threw him in a cistern to shut him up. They were afraid to kill him just in case he was a prophet of God. Let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in a hole. You see, there are false kings and there are false kingdoms. But there's only one true king. And he is coming. I don't know when, but he is coming. We are in a spiritual battle. Can you see it today? See, I look at the audience and some of you do. Some of you don't. This spiritual war is raging in the heavenly realms and on this present earth. And Jesus refers to this spiritual battle when he looks at Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. So I'm going to do something. This is my conclusion, my wrap-up of four sessions of Messiah Revealing. I've spent a lot of hours on these four sessions, and here's my wrap-up and my summary. There will only be one king who survives the last day. One. And there will only be one kingdom that will survive the last day. There will only be one king, and there will only be one kingdom, and everybody has a last day. Jesus has revealed these final details of this spiritual war to the Apostle John. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to read something, and I'm going to ask you before I read it, will you today accept the witness testimony of the Apostle John? Because I'm going to read it to you. Let me broaden it. Will you accept Daniel's witness testimony that I gave you last week? That there's a rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, that's on his way. And he's going to crush the feet of iron and clay, and he's going to create a kingdom that will never end. Will you accept Daniel's testimony? Will you accept the angel Gabriel's witness testimony that I gave you last week? That this king is coming to sit on David's throne. And there's an eternal kingdom of Israel. Will you accept the message of God or will you reject the message of God? You have to hear and believe the message to know the message. And today you do know the message. Do you know the message of God? Let me put it another way. Do you know what's coming? You see, Simeon had hope because he knew what was coming. Even though that some of what was coming was hard. And there's a cross. But he knew what was on the other side of the cross. Resurrection. So here we go. I'm going to read John's witness testimony. And I'm going to ask you, will you accept this? John 17, Revelation 17, 11. The scarlet beast that was, but is, no longer, is the eighth king. Now I want you to notice something. He's a king. The scarlet beast is a king. He's like the other seven. And he too is headed for destruction. These kings are going to be destroyed. What do we talk about in Daniel? All these kingdoms. A rock cut out of a mountain. He's like the other seven, and he too was headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings. There's a whole lot of kings in here. These ten kings who have not yet risen to power, they will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast, the Antichrist. Do you know what's coming? Do you know? And they, these kings, will all agree to give him, the Antichrist, their power and their authority. And together they will go to war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will defeat them. Why? Because He is the Lord of all lords, and He is the King of all kings. And here comes the highlight today. And His called and chosen faithful ones will be with 
him. There will only be one king who survives the last day. Only one kingdom will survive the last day, and everyone has the last day. And his called and chosen faithful ones will be with him. Can I ask everybody a personal question? Will you be with him? On that last day, will you be with him? His called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Will you be with him? Uh, I don't know. Then I ask you, what is your hope? What's coming over the next hill for you? What, 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 what's your future? I don't know. If you're not with him, you're against him. I'm telling you today, you must bow your life to this king before you meet him. I know what's coming and I know who's coming. Do you? I, like Simeon, am waiting for Messiah's revealing. My deliverer is coming. My deliverer is coming. I'm expecting him. My hope is based on the Word of God. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this planet. I'm willing to bet my soul on that sentence. God has given this book through angels and prophets. And I know how this whole thing ends. I got one more scripture. One more. And I'm going to ask you, will you accept John's witness testimony? Here it is. I know how this whole thing ends. Revelation 19. And then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True and he judges. He judges fairly and he wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, they followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. And he will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Some of you will say this was a strange Christmas sermon. I get it. But I got to tell you, Christmas is about good news and peace on earth. And I've told you the truth about both. And there were shepherds in the fields at night keeping watch over their flock. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord had shone all around them, and they were terrified. And the angel of the Lord said, Fear not, for behold, I've got good news. Great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Peace with God was within reach of all of mankind. Because of what happened that night. Peace. King James says, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. NIV says, peace on those whom God's favor rests. Have you made peace with God? That's the good news. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace on earth, peace on those whom his favor rests. So I got one last question. Is this message, this, I'm talking about this four sessions, especially today. Is this good news to you? What about the cross? Is it good news to you? Or you wish we could just leave the cross part out? Is this good news? Is this message your hope today?
I can't think of a better way to end the Christmas sermon series than hope. We've had the waiting, we've had the light, we've had the message, and now we have the hope. And what is your hope? What do you think is coming over the next hill? This world's gone crazy. Everything around us looks like it's slipping away. And yet, I know what's coming over this next hill. It's closer than it was yesterday. Our king is coming. I'll ask Chad to come on out. Uh, our king is coming. We're, we're like Simeon. I, I don't know if we, everybody will see him before you die, but you're going you're gonna to see him. You're going to meet him. You're going to know him if you have bowed to him. If you've met him at the cross. So we're going to do something today. I'm going to ask Brian Perry, one of our ministers, he's going to come stand down here. And maybe today you, you, you feel like there's something you need to do in your life, but you don't know what it is. I want you to come talk to Brian. Or maybe you're in the room today and you already know what you need to do. Then you just need to come talk to me and we'll take care of whatever that is. Did you bow to this king? Do you have this hope? Do you have it? Listen, this is what separates us from the whole world. That it doesn't matter what's coming. Our hope is in Christ. It cannot be taken away. So, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit to do what you did to Simeon. Lord, show us what's coming. Show us what we need to do to respond to what's coming. Give us peace with you, peace in our own hearts. Set us free from the bondage of sin and death through the cross of Christ. Renew our hope today. With the truth of Jesus Christ, I pray in his name. In amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand and celebrate together.